Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. part of this conversation is back in episode 86. If you didn't listen to that, you might want to go put that in your ear holes so this conversation makes a little bit more sense. Or maybe not. It's up to you. Anyway, here's Heather. So so that sort of maybe is a good segue into ca- talking about the idea of shaming children. Um, you know, the quote talked about um, we, have to, we have a professional responsibility to work with those children and their play in a way that doesn't generate low self-esteem or negative gender identity. So I, I don't know that we talk a lot about boys developing negative gender identity. It's usually a conversation about girls getting messages about what's appropriate for them and what's not, I think. Yeah, I was trying to make sense of that a bit. But mm-hmm. I, think, I think that both happen in different ways and I think it's less obvious when it happens to boys mm-hmm. because I think so much of what we project onto boys is couched in you know creating this peaceful society yeah we don't have guns versus you know conforming to like a subservient stereotype right which has had so much more light show shined on it shown on it uh-huh, uh-huh. that ever. it's more obvious <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's 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 valid. There, there's my stamp of approval for your, <laughs> your last sentence. Well done, Liz. <laughs> Thank you. That's really all I need. Just yeah, yeah, I know that's what this work is all about. Um, but the the idea of shaming children from their for their play choices, um, mm-hmm. which is ultimately what we're doing when when we make a huge deal out of a a child who wants to, you know, play with a Lego gun or um, be a superhero mm-hmm. um, sort of stuck with me too because we're kind of the ages that we're working with they're kind of right in that area of uh, Eric Erickson's stages that talks about they're developing either a sense of shame or a sense of initiative and, and so if they're constantly getting the message that the ideas they try out are stupid or annoying or inconvenient or wrong, or mm-hmm. then, then we feed right into that and we're really affecting a, a big piece of their emotional development and their social development. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm processing slowly. So no, no. So even if you're not saying like, oh, shame on you for choosing a gun toy, um, if we're constantly stopping what they want to do mm-hmm. for no better reason than it makes us uncomfortable, then I think that's pretty shaky ground to be on. And we're not helping them grow and develop in the ways that our mission statement says we are, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think the shame... Yeah, shame of our choices, and it, it can come from so many sources, because even if it's not coming from us, if their peers have been brought up on this, you know, mm-hmm. oh, no guns, you know, particularly the 
girl type peers. <laughs> the girl type peers. Parents are, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, if, and if they experience some so- social rejection that way, which I've actually seen happen. Oh, I, I don't play with guns. Why are you playing? You know. Oh yeah, yeah. Even among the three and four year olds, there's a little bit of this. Um, you know, they've absorbed the cultural norms, and so they kind of are enforcing them because that's what four-year-olds do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they need our help in processing all of that, sort of navigating all of that. So there's another reason that we have to be really aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. We can't just say, I mean, even if, if you decide, you know, you read the book or you listen to the podcast or whatever, and you say, nope, I'm still not comfortable with this kind of play. You still, you still have to understand your reasons, I think, to be able to navigate it with the children and help them through that. Although I hope you would change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not going to happen overnight necessarily no. unless you're already kind of secretly on this page and just haven't yeah. seen it yourself. Yeah. And, um because I don't have this marked or, or ready and it's just in my mind, one of the things in the... The part of the book is actually they got, you know, 10 or whatever people in early childhood programs to change their uh, position and allow this kind of play. And they Mm -hmm. did some pre and post like you do when you're doing research. They did some measurements. Um, And a lot of them found that those children who had been labeled as behavior problems or difficult children, especially the boys, were not seen in that way anymore. Yeah. Once, once this mindset was changed on the part of the adults which I think uh, is pretty amazing I think that's so powerful and yeah. so universally applicable Yeah, you know because even if guns aren't your issue if it's something different like if you're supremely annoyed by princess play if you just like <laughs> that's what I was going to say let's flip the gender thing and talk about that stuff yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Because uh, because I'm not a princess play person either and um I would be if I didn't stop and think about it probably concerned about a little girl who only played in the kitchen area or only played what other people told her to play mm-hmm. um yeah I had a really embarrassing moment actually not long after I read this book I was going over my own documentation and going I have like three pictures of girls in here. I am only really documenting what the boys are doing right yeah. now. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on here. Nope, you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, in fact, I'm surprised I haven't yet. <laughs> I, hmm, sorry, I'm just really thinking about this. Um, the gender divide again now. Um... I'm trying to remember because there was also a point, and maybe I can flip through and find it quickly, where she, uh, Penny Holland, the author, talked about how um, in allowing more of that uh, war weapon here, weapon superhero play, um, the girls were able to, because as the boys tried to get the girls to engage or their the boys' more active play, sort of spilled over into where girls were playing more quietly. The girls were able to resist that play. 
Yes. And so girls had an opportunity to learn that it's okay to resist, and boys had an opportunity through play to understand that it's fine for someone not to want to join your play. Yeah. And that that was, that was sort of powerful for me to read that piece. But I can't. I can't find it easily in here. So, sorry. No, that was riveting. <laughs> riveting podcast. You gave a good summary of it, though. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I don't, I just, I just think so often, uh, boys get teachers who are very concerned about the tone of their play and the direction of their play, um, more often than girls do. And I think it just, I think it comes down to noise level and, and activity level and therefore how much teacher effort or adult effort is required to respond to it. I think what's interesting is I've found the most effort that I've had to put into responding to a lot of this <laughs> has been activating my own parasympathetic nervous system and taking a second to breathe and going, it's loud. Yep, it's loud. It's loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, so let's let's talk about, for a minute if we can, the... Um... So this is probably only relevant for people who are in like a childcare program or a preschool program and not so much for the ones who are in their, you know, doing their family childcare. Um, but the teacher who feels like they're being judged on how well they have the room under control or how the noise level of their room is, because I think that's a real uh, concern. Um, a lot of times when I see people trying to stop play that's too active or too noisy, it's because they don't want someone to think that they're not in control of things in the classroom. I felt that pressure in family child care too, though. Like if parents were coming in, in and out, I, okay. I still felt some. Okay. All right. I haven't done it for a long time. And when I did, it was infants and toddlers and I oh, okay. had four of them. So it wasn't really, it never got all that noisy unless everybody was crying. But, um, so, so how do we, I guess, how can we prepare for that? What advice can we offer to folks who are feeling that like maybe they'd like to make the change Mm-hmm. but they aren't sure how it would be received. I mean, obviously, being comfortable explaining the why and the rationale, I think, is always important. And proactively explaining the rationale, like knowing what you're going to say and saying, uh-huh. hey, teacher who shares a wall with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, you know, let me know if it, if it's actually disrupting you because part of this is learning, you know, for us and for them. Like, what does actually disrupt other people? And also, maybe the teacher next door might notice it is loud, but, wow, everyone is actually still really engaged with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's one thing that I used to do both with, like, if I was giving a tour of uh, someone who was interviewing for a job and I was giving a tour of the center or a family was touring, you know, in the hopes of enrolling or something. Before we ever got to a classroom door, I would say, you know, it might seem very overwhelming and, and noisy at first, mm-hmm. because anytime you put a group of children of the same age in a classroom together, there's going to be noise. But if you look closely at, you know, it's, it's noisy because these three are very engaged and those four are very engaged over there and these two over here. So, so helping them sort of focus. Oh, I love that. What they're looking at, I think, can be useful. 
Mm -hmm. So, which kind of ties into what you're saying about being proactive about it is just trying to manage people's expectations rather than defend. Right. um, After the fact. So I think in fact, like the big body playbook that I mentioned a minute ago has some tips or maybe a sample. um, Like you would develop a policy that you would let families see and, and ideally let them have a chance to, to talk with you about that talks about the value and the process of making your decision about this kind of play. And hopefully your director is also on board and maybe that should be the person you talk to before right. we start right. talking. Maybe that's, maybe that's first. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Directors. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just being a director. Sometimes. <laughs> right. I don't miss the 6 a.m. calls describing to me the exact state of the diarrhea, so I'll believe they're really sick. <laughs> that, that part I don't miss. <laughs> I, you know, I've never assumed that my directors needed to know the details. I feel like I have a stomach bug. It's generally I, Well, that's what I, I mean. I could always tell who was not being honest because they would go into great detail. Like, they worked <laughs> much harder to convince me that they really were sick. The ones who I felt like really were sick were just like, I can't come in today. <laughs> Much like the boys playing with guns. Exactly. That flexible thinking. (laughs) Thanks for bringing it back to on topic. I'm pretty subtle with my um, transitions. Yeah, that was smooth. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the other thing that I'm thinking about um, with this conversation is um, the idea of power. And, and children have so little power in their actual lives over what happens to them that, of course, this kind of play that seems like it gives them a lot of power is going to be attractive to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and when I say they don't have a lot of power over their lives, I mean, like, from the morning, the time, they, the time they wake up sometimes is decided by other people, what they wear, where they're going to go, how much time they have at home with mom in the morning, um, who they spend their days with. And what they eat, all that stuff, when they poop, for God's sake, sometimes. Um, that That's a lot of outside forces determining what you can and can't do. And, and I think it's only natural then that some children will push back on that a little bit. And I don't mean that in a manipulative way. I don't mean that in like a, well, those little bastards will get away with anything. We'll put, try anything if you let them. No, I mean that's just natural. Like the human person probably wants to exert power when they can. Yes. Um, and this is a very easy way to feel powerful. And it's hard. It's, it's hard. It's interesting seeing the way adults as a whole navigate that, because I think in my experience, a lot of what I have seen is adults are kind of gaining this awareness of exactly how little power children tend to have. Mm-hmm. And the way that we support or squash whatever power they have to meet our ends and then attempt to meet their needs can be, I mean, there are ways to go about it that actually meet the child's need for power and there are ways to go about it that actually create this kind of imbalance. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's Janet Lesbury who talks about the confident leader. I mean, from Magda Gerber, Uh it's a running stance primarily, Uh you know, being a confident leader for your child or with your children or however versus being um and I never know how to say this appropriately so (laughs) please give me better words oh all right but 
Um, <laughs> you know, we think we're giving children power if we um, if we acquiesce oh. to maybe something that's honestly unreasonable or inappropriate at that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, which actually just creates more confusion because children certainly are looking for power, but they're also looking for stability and predictability. Uh-huh. And don't actually want to be in charge of their whole lives. They really need and crave an adult who can take care of the big picture things. Mm-hmm. Right. So and I, I think some adults will struggle with that too. That idea, because there are adults who are searching for ways to have power in their lives. Right. <laughs> and so often the easy way to do that is over children. Mm-hmm. And, um, or the, or the flip side, there are adults who maybe are afraid of that. And so they don't, step up and be the leader when a child needs a leader. Right. Um, but even that is not, um, so I, I would think like, you know, the, there's a toddler who's just sort of lost control and mm-hmm. is mid tantrum, but it's time to go. Then you, you pick them up and you take them and you go. <laughs> right. um, and that's okay. Um, rather than saying, okay, well, I'll just sit here with you and I'm going to be late. You're making me late. That's, the passive aggression is really the, the part where it becomes an issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's another thing to add to your list of things to reflect about. Yes. <laughs> How many recommendations have I made for things to reflect about? <laughs> your own feelings about power. Um, I, was, I was part of a program once that had a group of three-year-old boys, three or four of them, who just wanted to play superhero stuff all day long, which mm-hmm. led to chasing and play punching and play kicking very rarely was contact actually made they were Mm -hmm. very well in control of that it's so interesting how infrequent that contact really is right but we jump in and we stop it yeah yeah so we don't allow us we don't allow ourselves to find that out i think um but that was the case but you know the teachers are very uncomfortable with it and uh, the director became uncomfortable because the teachers were uncomfortable and the parents were being told it was a behavior problem, and they had this big meeting to um, to come up with a behavior plan for these boys. It was the teachers and the parents and the um, uh, director, and and so they decided that well, they just really looked up to these superheroes. So let's 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 re- they were going to redirect basically and and give them replacement behaviors, which are both good ideas when you have a behavior you don't like. But their idea was then to add fire trucks and fire hats and teach them that there were other kinds of superheroes who didn't need to punch and kick. Mm. And they didn't, the kids weren't in, the play continued. It wasn't a successful redirection or replacement (laughs) because I think the real, the real thing was they wanted that big body play and, um, and maybe those feelings of power and sitting down quietly to play with a fire truck with a fire hat on their heads was not meeting that need. Right. And it's easy to make that mistake, though. Cause mm-hmm. if- yeah, absolutely. They were all very well-intentioned, and I appreciated the process of thinking through what they thought they were trying to accomplish. But they never re-looked at it then. When it wasn't working, they didn't say, oh, maybe we were wrong when we thought we knew what they were trying to get out of this play. They thought oh, we got to crack down harder on these boys because it's obviously a behavior problem now. It's like obviously something really wrong with these guys Um, rather than thinking, oh, what about my practice could contribute to this? 
I don't know how behavior problem is ever seen as this is a behavior because of my problem. <laughs> like, it's generally my first, like, oh, well, this is happening. What am I doing wrong? Right, yeah. Or what can I do? What can I change? Yeah. How can I contribute yeah. to it, to it being different? Yeah. Hmm. So it's a good book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, was there anything else you wanted to, to get in based um, on this? on the quote did we is there anything about gender that we moved past too quickly for you i mean i so actually the low self-esteem was kind of what interested oh, me yeah being a child of the 90s now um yeah well i mean i kind of jumbled that in with my ideas about shame um that's true. Con contributing to that but yeah let's talk about that low self-esteem piece yeah i mean i just think that there's been so much written recently about self-esteem as how it's not as impact, you know, it's correlated with success. It's mm -hmm. not actually, a, you know, there's so much nuance to it, more mm -hmm. nuance to it than coloring posters saying I'm special and unique. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think this book talks to very successfully. Uh -huh. um, you know, working with boys in a way that does not generate low self-esteem, I feel like could be read in a more shallow manner, but I think it's important to really read into the depth of what it means and really acknowledging each individual boy as a person and not, oh, all you boys who do all this running and superheroing and gunplay. Right. Um, and I think that's one of those, you know, just a basic, um, uh, I guess, a standard of, of research is we define our terms and <laughs> self-esteem can go in so many different directions for some people it means coddling or you know that's how they associate in their minds it's coddling or we can't ever tell them they've done anything wrong or everybody gets a trophy just for participating and for some people that's a turnoff so they may read this statement and yes say, oh self-esteem no never mind i'm not going to think any further about this because that's baloney but it's it's really to oversimplify it the idea that we all deserve a little dignity in our lives. <laughs> and people who feel like they have some power and they have some value and their ideas are okay sometimes, you know, those are going to be more successful people. Encouraging that autonomy, not the shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole conversation about self-esteem could go another hour probably. That's too exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that is an important piece of it. If if they're hearing all day long, um, I don't like your ideas. It's not long before they start translating that subconsciously. You know, not maybe, but uh, well, you don't like me because you don't like my ideas, or right, school doesn't work for me because they don't like my my ideas, or you know, adults don't like it. Just it's a it's an easy way to beat a child's psyche down. Yeah. How to ruin a child's initiative in 10 easy in steps. 10 easy steps. <laughs> <laughs> um, we joke, but that would be a fun, uh, an interesting list to make for a podcast. Uh, okay. So, um, sorry, I keep thinking that I know what I'm going to say and then I don't. Um, I, the only other thing I wanted to make sure that I touched on and highlighted was the idea that we have a professional responsibility 
to think through this process, to, to think through this kind of play, to think through our position, positions. It's not enough to just say we have a zero tolerance policy. I, th I think that's a cop out. Absolutely. Um, and if we really look at most zero tolerance policies and a lot of the research about zero tolerance policies, they don't generally work. Right. Or have the intended effect. Um, other than making us feel like we've done something about a problem. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. we, we can say we have a zero tolerance policy when people ask what our position about gunplay is. Because right. it's easy. It's quick. Everyone in the building can say that. Um, mm -hmm. But if we're going to say that we allow it and here's why. Right. Um, that's That's more difficult. There's more responsibility on that side of things for us which is hard for some people and scary for people and oh no what are we going to do about the parent tour when the parents are just so turned off by your statement about gunplay that they choose the program down the block <laughs> right well um let them choose the program down the block there's not that much um it, this comes up a lot too the whole idea of well if if we don't tell them we their kids can learn to read in our child care center, they're going to go to another center. Well, there's another family coming along who will stay with you. <laughs> like, right. There's there's not that much good child care out there that uh, I'm going to have an empty classroom because of my ideas about gunplay. Right. Um, if nothing else, there's going to be six families that I'm just the closest center to their house, and so they'll they won't even ask me about my gunplay policies. They'll just bring their kids. Uh, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> right. That sounded judgier than I meant it to. That's okay if that's why a family chooses you. Uh, <laughs> as long as you're, you know, being responsible yourself. Right. Um, all right. Well, I think we both could say we recommend the book. Yes. And uh, I probably would be interested in talking more about it if you want to find another quote that you want to talk about sometime. I, I felt like I did so much highlighting and my intention really was then to go back and look at all the stuff I'd highlighted and make little notes about why I, and really just give this a good study. <laughs> and I didn't do that. Once it was done, I stopped thinking about it until we were planning this. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm still missing so much. I've got to, I got to get back in there and think about it some more. Yeah. Um, so thanks for coming on and talking about it. And, uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that again. I'm going to track down what was, okay. So the article that you were talking about, I interrupted you when you were saying the name of it, but it's like, let the kids smoke and drink on the playground. Or I'm something. pretty yeah. sure this is going off of a big memory, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think I, I think I looked it up and it was, it was Travis from like three years ago on progressive preceptors. So if anyone's <laughs> looking for that, you can go to his progressive preceptors, Facebook page. I'm plugging somebody else's page on my podcast. Um, and uh, and if I think about it, maybe I'll put it in the comments on this podcast when it comes out. Because <laughs> I'm so good at that kind of pre-planning <laughs> and proactivity. Um, okay, so anyway, thanks everyone for listening to another episode. Thank you, Liz, for coming on and talking with me about this. Thank and you. And we will see you guys all on another episode. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.